Well, good day to you, Elevation. I'm Steve, one of the members of the pastoral team here. And as you're just getting to know me, I'm just getting to know you. One of the things that's worth knowing about me is that I am always getting lost. Uh, here in, in Don Euphemia, where I live, um, I'm surrounded by farmers. And there's this sort of old school way of navigation of telling you, you know, I live off this street and then off that street and take a left and then take a right on this. And and I just, my eyes glaze over because I'm the kind of person who unfortunately just needs to put it in a GPS otherwise and I'll get lost. And even sometimes still with the GPS, I, I'm constantly like flipping around my phone trying to figure out, is it telling me to turn left or, or right? Am I going straight here? And, and and so maybe you're like me and you get lost easily. Uh, one of the things I know about transitions, seasons of change, is that we can easily get lost. They're disorienting. And so for the month of May, we're going to be uh, walking through this idea of locating ourselves, finding ourselves. Where are we? Where are we going? Uh, and so this month of May will be an invitation to walk alongside the, the wilderness journey in the middle chapters of Exodus. And it's kind of a weird place to start because we're technically in the season of Easter. Uh, but we find out in Luke 24 in the story of Emmaus, as Jesus is walking with Cleopas and the, the other guy who doesn't have a name, and he, he, he's unpacking uh, their disorientation because they are also kind of in this place of trying to figure out what just happened. He takes them back to Moses and the law and the prophets to kind of make sense of the story. And so there's something about this story of the Exodus and the wilderness experience that, that says this is, uh, this is a really important backdrop to who we are, even in the midst of Easter. That, that we are a people who are constantly, uh, God is constantly taking through the wilderness and being shaped and transformed from slaves in Egypt to those radically shaped by the love of Yahweh for themselves and for the world. And so somehow this story is foundational to understanding Jesus and understanding the church. So my hope this morning uh, or today is that we would sit in the story of Moses and the wilderness. We would slow down. We would pay attention uh, we would be curious and open-minded about the way God worked in that story and the way that God might be working in our story in this season of change. Now, I've been reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia with my three oldest girls. Uh, each night we read one chapter. We're all the way at the last battle. But one of the, the, uh, the fantastic pieces of this series is that there are people from our world who find their way into the world of Narnia. And there's always like sort of a unique way that they show up. And one of my favorites is in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's this, uh, the two Pevensies, Lucy and Edmund, are hanging out with their, uh, with Eustace, a new character in the story. And, and they're in Eustace's house and kind of begrudgingly. And they don't really like playing with him. He's kind of a mean kid at this point. And, um, and they, they're in his room and they see on the wall a picture of a Narnian ship. It's a, it's a, just, you know, it's a static picture. But the more they look at it, the more that they stare at it, the more it begins to be dynamic and the waves begin to, to move. And suddenly they feel, you know, the, the crashing of the waves and water splashing on them. And, and as they look at this picture, it moves from static to dynamic and they're actually drawn into the story to the point that they enter into Narnia. My hope this morning would be that, that this story, this, 
this middle part of Exodus would be that. It moves from a static, sort of long time ago, static picture to one that invites us in. And that we get drawn into the story and find ourselves and locate ourselves in the story. When we we hear the story of the Exodus, we tend to zero in on the the spectacular, the miraculous, the stuff of cinematic dreams, of, of plagues and signs and wonders, the wearing down of Pharaoh until the point that he says, okay, you can go. And it's a good story, but it's not the story for us today. And when they're finally on their way and Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends his army after them and they run and uh, the, the, the seas are parted and they get through on dry land and the seas crash in around Pharaoh's army. It's a fantastic story. One of the most significant stories for the Jewish people, but it's also not our story for today. Now we'll pick up on the other side of the Red Sea with hearts that are beating a mile a minute. The pace has been uh, frantic. Uh, This idea of crossing over, worried, looking back as an army is coming down on you. And I wonder if we might connect with that part of the story. These last few months have perhaps been like that, frantic and intense, almost like we're operating in a bit of crisis. And when our hearts finally slow down and we stop and look around, we find ourselves in a strange place, dislocated, fractured, exhausted, worried, wondering what just happened, asking ourselves, how did we find ourselves here? And so in an effort to make sense of the moment, their leader, Moses, sings a song. And you can find the whole thing in Exodus 15, but and it's a retelling of God's saving actions here. Uh, of how God showed up. But these very pastoral words are contained in the song, in the middle of it. He says, he sings, uh, with your faithful love, you will lead the people. You have redeemed, you will guide them to your holy dwelling with your strength. Without a home and without a clue where they are going, we read in Exodus 15 that Moses leads them into the wilderness. But it's it's not really Moses leading them, it's God leading them by his strength. He leads this weary and exhausted people onward. Now, who among us loves a good wilderness survival show? I'm one of those people who I just, for some reason, love these shows. When uh, there was a show called You vs. Wild Bear Grylls, and it was kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure Netflix show where... You know, he would go into a survival scenario and he'd say, do I go this way or do I go that way? What, go that way. And he'd say, you decide. And then we as as a family would be like, oh, we should we talk about it and we decide to go one way. And you can lose this game. Quite fun. Uh, but another survival game that I love, it's probably my favorite, is Survivor. Classic American game show uh, on an island. And I have... Uh, during the pandemic, actually applied for Survivor because uh, one of the things that that has changed over the years is that Canadians now, in the last couple of years, can can apply for Survivor. Uh, in fact, last season a Canadian won Survivor, and so I have applied for Survivor. I want to be on Survivor. Uh, but one of the common threads from Survivor contestants, and you kind of hear this as you watch the show, is that it's they're playing this game on an island for a lot of money, but the island, the experience. Uh, offers them up kind of a reflective mirror to their own soul. There's something that always comes up in tribal councils uh, and toward the end of the game is like, this has been transformative for me. I discovered myself in this place. And it's often not to do with the money at all. It's often to do with this this transformative experience that happens uh, through failure, 
through the scheming, through the lying, through the through uh, the game itself, people come to overcome adversity together. They come to to thrive through failure together, and they come out of the game a different person. And I think this is what the wilderness does for us. It it becomes an opportunity, a mirror to our own soul, that we would see ourselves with incredible clarity, and that we would grow. The, the wilderness, the desert, is the place of transformation, of failure, of being challenged, of rising to the occasion, of overcoming adversity together as the people of God. Now, if we back up a bit to um, Exodus 2, at the beginning of the story, we see that this young leader, Moses, uh, he, in his zealous leadership, kills an Egyptian slave driver, and he's forced to flee into the wilderness of Midian. And he spends considerable time here in the wilderness, years upon years in Midian, learning about shepherding, learning about growing up, reflecting on his own heart, unpacking his own failure. Ruth Haley Barton has written a fantastic book on, on leadership and, uh, and using this story um, and she says uh, that Moses was unpacking, processing his identity and his story in the wilderness. And she says, but one day after he had been in the wilderness long enough for solitude to do its good work, he was able to claim his greatest pain and brokenness. It is doubtful that Moses knew exactly what was going on in that wilderness place. Most of us don't when we first begin entering in. Such a profound statement about the wilderness that most of us don't actually know what's going on when we first enter in. But when we spend some time here, it is precisely the place of transformation, of unpacking past hurts, of bringing uh, the past into clarity and being able to move forward. So for Moses, the wilderness of Midian was that place of his own transformation. It was a place of preparation for him. For many years later, we see that this courageous, this leader uh, courageously leads the people into a wilderness that will begin a transformation in their collective life. For us, we too are invited into a, into this a season of the wilderness. It's important to name this up front. My my hope is that we're going to do some deep work here together this year. That we're going to learn together, and it might be hard, but with God as our guide, we're going on a journey together. Uh, another author, Jeff Mannion, who writes. Um, uh, the Land Between, a book about transitions for churches. He says, the desert is not intended to be their final destination, but rather a necessary middle space where they will be formed as a people and established in their connection to God. And he later writes that the wilderness was to be a pivotal place in the formation of them as a people. So uh, I want to draw your attention to this. I, I uh, Part of my presentation for the AGM um, William and Susan Bridges use this this uh, uh, this framework as a kind of a way to map out transition, and and you'll see that there's kind of three arcs happening or three places happening. Uh, there's this blue arc of uh, the old uh, letting go, loss, ending. There's something new happening, the new beginning, the green arc, um, which speaks of hope and speaks of possibility. And then there's this middle space, this the wilderness space where we say, oh, uh, we don't actually know what this looks like. And it's a place of dreaming. It's a place of, of, of possibility. It's a place of discovery. It's a place where we wrestle it out together, uh, what it's going to look like in the new, now that the old is behind us. 
But we do know this, that, that even as we are anticipating moving toward, you know, a new beginning together, a new chapter in the life of Elevation, that there's still grief here. That change is hard. Transition is difficult. And, and we were talking about this as a, uh, in a variety of different places in the leadership and, and really just acknowledge somebody used the language of baskets of grief. And, and I really liked it. It resonated with me that there's, there's grief here in our story. And, and the way that I see the story, there's really four baskets of grief in this early part of the transitional story. There's, there's disorientation and dislocation and dissonance and disconnection. And chances are you might be experiencing one or more of these. That's the beautiful thing about this baskets metaphor is some people you're holding one of these. Others, you're maybe holding all of them. And we're experiencing different levels of grief uh, individually and collectively in this transitional season. Let me just kind of walk through them. Disorientation. This, this feels like uh, a little bit like a sense of being lost. It's confused. You're unsure. This kind of grief can leave you feeling foggy or flat or deflated and, and maybe kind of hopeless. Um, I get disoriented, especially in spatial uh, places. I was the last time I was doing a sermon uh, in the forest. I I went to walk back and I took a the wrong direction and I walked for a while before realizing I think I went the wrong way. And so I actually pulled up on my Google Maps and looked at the map and was like, wow, I really went the wrong way. And then we started walking back the right way, only then to discover that the dog uh, ch ran off ahead to chase some animals. And uh, and I heard lots of barking and lots of animals. So I, I started running after the dog. And in the running after, I got turned around again. I got disoriented and I was feeling really frustrated that this journey home would have taken me, you know, a few minutes, uh, doubled or tripled in time. So maybe you're feeling disoriented right now. And there's a lot of reasons to feel disoriented. The pandemic has certainly contributed to that. And, and just a sense of feeling unsure about things and unsure even about church right now and how it's going to work and, and what this space offers me and where it meets me in my grief. Dislocation. Dislocation. This, this can feel like being homesick or missing what used to be normal. During the pandemic, the word languish made its way around social media. People were languishing that any sense of normal had been stripped away. There was all this talk of getting back to normal or getting to some new normal. But our experience of the pandemic, and perhaps as a, more specifically, as Elevation, has been one of dislocation. It's felt like exile at times. It's been like living through this in-between space. And that has been tough. From Kristen's Easter message, uh, she she mentioned this idea that that after they the people uh, Adam and Eve left the garden, the dominant sort of narrative or or the legacy that was left for the the children of Adam and Eve and generations to follow was one of dislocation and isolation and exile of wandering. That even though God the Creator never stopped loving them or trying to walk with them, they just couldn't hear Him right anymore. Something was off. There was interference that distorted their understanding of themselves and God. Kristen said this uh, at Easter, and it just fits so well with dislocation. This feeling that we're not here and we're not there and we're somewhere in between. We're in this, this exile space, this liminal space in between that doesn't really give us solid footing and sometimes leaves us feeling like we're longing for stability and structure. 
The third sort of grief you may be feeling is dissonance. It's similar to disorientation and yet somewhat different. Dissonance is perhaps more like a foggy feeling, a lack of clarity or purpose. It can become hard to focus. Everything feels kind of out of sync, out of harmony, lacking joy or purpose. And, and I would say that even in person, we're still kind of working this one out. Things still feel somewhat off. There's a bit of dissonance even in our space together. And I think the more that we gather, the more we get back in this space together, the more it will begin to feel uh, uh, a movement from dissonance to consonance. It'll make sense. We will, we will arrive together and then joy will pop up and spring forward. But we're definitely in that experience of dissonance together. And then finally, disconnection. I think many of us feel this one more than during a normal season of change because change normally brings with it a, a bit of a dis sense of disconnection. People feel differently about, about the change that happened. They find themselves in different camps. I think we're seeing that, that there's uh, polarization and, and fracture popping up in different places in our, in our community. And that fracture shows up and pain wedges, wedges its way in between uh, our relationships. And, but this is all the more magnified in a pandemic that has kept us apart because we haven't been together to lament, to weep, to remember, to reflect, and to share hope for the future. I imagine that the people of Israel felt these very real areas of grief too, and we feel them. And maybe you're carrying one or more of these today. And for those of us who are still holding this grief, it's okay to not be okay. There's grace for us. We find out pretty early in the story uh, of the wilderness journey that the people grumble. That often grief leads to grumbling. We read in Exodus 15, uh, 22 to 24, that Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea and they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Merah, but they could not drink the water at Merah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Merah. The people grumbled to Moses, drink. So uh, there's, there's grumbling happening, but really uh, the grumbling is probably more of an ind indication of their grief. Uh, first they grumble for water and then for food and then for meat and then for water again. And we find out that yes, they are hungry and thirsty, but they're also grieving. And we're a foster family and we have learned to sort of chase the why. And that is to say that the presenting problem may not be actually the source of what's going on. There may be something, a root issue here. And I would say that the people of Israel, they are grumbling about things like food and water and sustenance, but really the, the why, the deeper thing is they're sitting in grief. They're feeling the weight of that grief. So my hope this morning is that you would begin to maybe make sense of some of that grief, but also that you would hear an invitation uh, to join together with this community uh, of crossing over into the wilderness together. It says Moses led the people into the wilderness. And, and my, my invitation to you would be, let's go into the wilderness together. Come into the desert with me and with us. Is it going to be easy? Probably not. Are we going to grumble? Yeah, we probably will at times. Am I, as a transitional leader, always going to get it right? No. I'm not, and we're going to need each other in this process. Are we going to extend grace? You bet we are. And are we going to love each other through it all? Yes, yes, yes. I want to close with a prayer from Joyce Rupp. 
and it's called Crossing Over. She, she writes this. Crossing over into the unknown. Crossing over from a secure land to one whose roads I have never walked. Companion and guide, you are my transition coach. You say to me, cross over the bridge, go ahead, come on over, it's sturdy enough. Don't look down though, or you might get terrified and never walk across. Don't look back too long or you will lose courage and want to stay right where you are. Hang on, keep going, that's what bridges are for, to get you to the other side. Trust me to protect you. For all of us in transition, we have bridges to cross. Bless us, God of the journey. Gift us with the desire to go on ahead. Help us to trust that the bridge will be strong and the risk will be worth it. If you're feeling uh, grief right now, any level of grief, maybe grief that was named or grief that wasn't named, and you're looking for some place to process it, we as a pastoral team would love to have conversation with you. I'm available. Um, I can be available in person uh, in the Waterloo area. Um, reach out to me to connect on that. Or I could be available uh, online. You know, we could connect on Zoom or Google Meet or a phone call. And I can just be a listening ear and, and walk with you in that. Um, so please don't be afraid to reach out. We'd love to connect. We'd love to, to walk with you and, and listen to you in this season of change. Thank you.